This podcast is produced by EnergeticCity.ca, your only local and independent news in Northeast BC. To support local news and this podcast, go to EnergeticCity.ca slash join to find out more. This podcast was recorded on traditional Denizal land. Welcome to Before the Peace. I'm here with my co-host and producer of the podcast, Trey Lapashinsky. Greetings, friends. <laughs> <laughs> this is our second episode of the Healing the Hoop Conference, our second part, we can call it. Uh, Jenna and I went to this three-day event in May, and we met so many inspirational and knowledgeable people, and we are stoked for you to hear from them. We decided to release this conference into two episodes because we got multiple interviews that would not fit into an hour to 90 minutes, which we usually do. The conference was a three-day event focusing on resiliency, personal growth, and healing communities, and there were several people we spoke to, including the keynote speakers. Today, you'll be hearing from Knowledge Keeper David Daniels, Ojibwe American musician Kisakola, and Northwestern Polytechnic's elder-in-residence Loretta Parentu English. Loretta was... Amazing. She was actually the one who did uh, my blanket ceremony. And I was also a part of a pipe ceremony that she did with Christy. And I just, I don't know, I I felt a connection with her. Mm. I think she has so much knowledge that I think everybody should hear. Um, When she walked into the room, and you'll even... I think you'll get this from the interview because this is what I got from it is when she just walks in the room, you just feel so comfortable. Mm -hmm. When you listen to the interview, this is like basically our first time talking with her, like a full conversation. And she was just soft spoken, but she had so much history Mm -hmm. in her voice and you could tell she had stories and we wish we could sit there and talk with her and hopefully in the future we can for like an hour. Uh, you know, we only got 15 to 30 minutes, I believe, with her. But yeah. she was she was uh, amazing and uh, it was just cool. The people that came in, and I usually don't find myself uh, uh, an, an empath where I can like feel you know, energy or vibe. See, I can, and her energy is fantastic. And it's great, but that's that's what I want to say is, and actually, every guest that came in, you can you felt it. You felt mm-hmm. it with Keith. You felt it with David. You felt yep. it with Art Napoleon. Like it was just, I'm I cannot stop raving about this conference. Honestly, yeah. it was like I was so by the end of the week, I was like <laughs> so done, like just emotionally, yeah. just but like not in a bad way, like. Mm fulfilled mm. but exhausted at the same time going into the weekend after the conference i felt good like i felt comfortable you know i've had some mental health stuff over the past couple of years and i think you know a lot of people going to healing the hoop probably came away with something and there it's yeah. just there had to be takeaways there's so much there so many speakers so many great speakers as well and uh you know Jenna was talking about her experience with Loretta and the blanket ceremony. And I mentioned, we mentioned that as well as our experience with David Daniels on the first part of the healing, the hoop uh, conference episode we did last month. And for David, you know, I got to see what he did in a men's fire circle with his healing um, practices. And we sat in a circle with all these men and he, he talked about uh, the relationship with men and women and how important it is. He talked about healing. He, he talked about so much um, 
with cultural healing. And there was one instance I mentioned last month and I won't go too far into it. If you want to listen to the whole story, you can go back to the episode, <laughs> but I saw David, uh, just going around kind of showing what he was doing to everyone. And he asked if anyone had back problems, just some pains, but there was one individual that actually had come in on a wheelchair and, uh, David went up to him, talked to him, asked him about things, um, was, was kind of tugging on his leg, was whacking him with the, the eagle feathers, which is part of the practice, and then had him stand up. And the individual said that he usually couldn't stand up straight without one foot behind him, and he was standing straight up. And David looked at him, and he said, I want you to let go and forgive what the doctors did to you. Oh. And David, er, and the, the individual said to David, I already have, I already have. And then after David did some more, he was talking to the creator, and then he said thank you to the individual, and I, and he said back to David, no, thank you. And just the that is the biggest thing that I took away from the whole conference, <laughs> that experience, but his reaction to what David did, to how he felt. Yeah. And then the next day, I got to experience the same thing when David helped me with my back. And it was good for you know, four week or four days, and I lived with back pain my whole life. And it's just—I said this last time. David is just someone I want to be around me all the time, just because. And you'll hear it in the interview. He's such a great guy, and he—he's he, a knowledge keeper. He—he he has a lot of experiences, and it was just—it's just—he's a great guy to be around. Also. He can throw out some jokes. Like <laughs> yeah. him, Kisakola, He went up on that comedy night. Yeah. All of them. They were all so funny. They, they were really funny. <laughs> and they even said, like, I know at one point Art was saying, you know, we're not comedians. But they were funny. And Art was slinging out some. Oh, yeah. He had a tight five. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and we actually got to hang out with everybody in the evenings, too, which oh, was fun. Was so we kind of went back to the hotel and we jammed with mm. Art and Keith and sang some tunes and just hung out. It was it was a good time. Oh, well, you sang. I just sat, sat in the corner. But it was it was <laughs> awesome. Yeah. You know, Art and Keith just jamming some, some other individuals that were there as well who were part of the conference i would like to say too jenna like i feel you know over the past couple months of us doing this podcast and us working together outside the podcast at work it's uh we've we like we've gradually become friends and i think we've had this cool friendship and i think out of the conference it grew even bigger yeah and i just think that, that is how i'll always remember the conference with not only the the guests and all the experiences, but it was cool to be with you there as well. And, you know, learning things. I didn't know you could sing. She was singing when we were hanging out at the hotel room, and I was just so surprised. I was like, oh, okay, cool. She's my homie. And then you, you called me your uh, your work husband. Yeah, which is like, you're my work husband, yeah. Uh, you know, it is what it is. Although he beat me at basketball the other night, and I'm not happy about that. Well, we'll I, have to have a rematch. I am a giant man, so. <laughs> okay, we got people to thank for this ah, podcast. Okay, okay, okay. This podcast wouldn't be possible without the help of Troyer Ventures. Troyer has been serving our community and the energy industry with tank and back trucks since 2000. They're built on the principles of hard work, service, and community, and they are proud to offer the financial support to make this pro program possible. 
Also, shout out to our new sponsor, Epscan Industries. They are a full-service provider who brings a comprehensive management system and experienced personnel with highly targeted skill sets. We'd also like to say thank you to Click for their support. The Cultural Learning and Innovation Circle is a not-for-profit society that offers mentorship, coaching, and training opportunities. All right, let's get into the guests of Healing the Hoop 2022. So right now we're here with David Daniels at the Healing the Hoop conference here in Fort St. John. Uh, he is a knowledge keeper from Long Plain First Nation in Manitoba. David, yesterday I took part in the men's fire circle and I witnessed something uh, that, that brought some tears to my eye. There was a gentleman there that had nerve problems in his legs and he was expressing to you that he hasn't walked in years and he, he couldn't stand without having one leg behind him but he was able to stand up on both feet. Can you kind of talk about um, the process of what you were doing in that scenario? Yeah, yeah in that men's circle, uh, there's different ways in how we heal. And part of it is if they have nerve damage, like a sciatic nerve, it's easy to do. You don't have to go to a psychiatrist or not, not a psychiatrist. Physiotherapist. And, Physiotherapist yeah, yeah. Or, uh, or those bone... Chiropractor. Yeah, chiropractor. chiropractor yeah. Yeah. You don't have to go to them because it's very simple. All you have to do is pull their leg and it releases pressure on the sciatic nerve. And people call me the miracle worker because I can do 10, 15 people at once, one right after another, and their pain is gone in a matter of minutes. So this gentleman had a, uh, an accident injuring his spine and then he had surgery, and uh, there was a little globule behind at the tailbone. So the doctor said, well, we're going to have to do surgery. Because giving him a choice, they went ahead and gave him the surgery. As a result, he had a brain, brain I mean, he had an injury on the nerves, causing him pain. And it took him a while to, to learn how to walk. And what I did was... I walked him back to the time when he was okay. Walked him back to the time before the surgery. And asked the creator to restore all the nerves and all the things that was there before. Because actually we're all, our bodies are only seven years old because everybody, all our body cells are replaced every seven years. So you can go back seven years and actually reconfigure your DNA your RNA to correct all those health problems that you've had. You don't have to accept the ancestral dilemmas like some people, some women I know have uh, breast cancer uh, and it runs in the family and they all die by the time they're 40. But you can be, that could be corrected if you go back in time and reset the DNA. And that's what, that's what we did. So yesterday, he was able to walk and he was able to be a lot better today and some of the other people have the upper back so that's a different different thing but lower back problems is not a, it's not an issue uh, this morning we did a, uh, a woman's circle and what we did was it's called combing out the tears it's a woman's ceremony and what it is that women carry grief so what we do is they have to bring a change of clothes 
and so we cover them up with blankets, hold them up. They change their clothes, and when they're ready, we drop the blankets down. Then we pray over them, and the part of the prayers is that, Creator, I choose to let my pain go, my grief. I choose to let my grief to you and give it to you. Restore my balance, restore my harmony, restore the joy that I'm supposed to have. And we comb out their hair, put on ribbons, and they step out, they leave their old clothes, their clothes of mourning. We, we get them to put on new clothes, better clothes, and they step out of it. And then we put them to the side, and all the women who lost children, who lost family, who themselves are in grief, come and greet them and welcome back. Then, then the men came as well, too, and they hugged these women. And it was, you should see them now. They actually are glowing with happiness. They don't have that, that fear, that, that atmosphere of darkness and sadness around them. So that's one of the, it's a woman's ceremony. So women are supposed to do that for themselves. So because the women have forgotten to do that or they were never taught. So I carry that and I say to them after the ceremony, says, you women, you own this now. You can do that among yourselves. Help your community out. So to restore that knowledge that was lost so they, they can heal. So how do you heal the nation? You heal the nation individually, family, community, regionally, nationally, internationally. All of humanity can get healed. So that's what we can do. And this afternoon, uh, some of the women want me to deal with uh, murdered missing men, murdered missing women. So that's the next process we're going to talk about. How do we deal with the pain that is caused and how do we deal with not having a body to bury, not having doing things. So I've created a memorial at home. See, I lost my child at uh, 50 years ago. My wife was pregnant and the doctor gave her wrong medication and that killed my child, my little girl. So, but I didn't have a chance to bury the child have the body because they didn't do it back then. You just take the body and incinerate them. So last October or so, I was, got up early in the morning. I just as I waking, just as a waking state, a little girl comes and sees me and says, Dad, I think it's time for you to let go. It was my child. So what I did is I created a memorial, uh, a facility. It's a self uh, supporting roof called reciprocal roof and in there there's a uh, a granite a slab horizontal one going up but on this slab it says my child I choose to let you go be at peace because we can say rest in peace because we didn't have a chance to bury them right so that's for the women who were were miscarried the children who were miscarried the children who are Aborted, as of today, over 17 million abortions have taken place since January. 17 million children have been aborted. Then there's, of course, the ones that are stillborn, children that are... So, on this one, 
to slap you. You say that prayer. But an unupright one, beside it is a birdcage with a door open. And coming out of the birdcage are swallows flying upwards. And what it means is that in our language, swallows, we call them Anishinaabansak, the, the little Indians or little people that are yet to be born. So that's why we don't harm a swallow. They're sacred to us. So these little swallows are flying upward back back to the Creator. But when you come there, you bring big booties, little baby moccasins, socks, toys, whatever, and you, as you say this prayer, you drop it into a basket and leave your, leave your pain there. And you sit down and they pray and allow the healing to begin to happen within you so that we can have that that hidden grief taken away from us. Because men suffer too. But that's a hidden grief. So we have this hidden grief. So how do we heal the nation? Is that we have to deal with the, the hidden grief. We have to deal with those things that are not talked about. So what would you say to some of the listeners <clears throat> listening right now that I mean, over the last few years, lots has happened. People are living in pain. They have a lot of trauma. and maybe Old they, trauma that's being brought back up again with discoveries sure. of the 216 and everything like yeah. that. Yeah. So what would you say to the listeners that are, feel like there's no way out or they feel that pain, it's too heavy? Well, the answer is simple. You go out look up into the sky early morning, evening, whatever time and you say this thing, Creator Father God, whatever name you want to use I choose to give you my pain I choose to let go of my pain, replace it with joy so I can come back and enjoy life again, but this grief that I've been carrying I give it to you clothe me with kindness, clothe me with healing so that I can be once again feel normal so that we don't have the depression, we don't have the anger, we don't have that whole process of grief. So that's what I would recommend to anybody. You don't need a special ceremony for that. You just need to go out in the bush or go out on your doorstep, in your bathroom, wherever, sitting on the throne, you just say, Creator. Because no matter where he is, you know, he listens. And walk by faith. Walk by faith is what I say. Because for me, I don't need confirmation for the prayers, for the prayers and the things I say and the things when I pray over people. I know the Creator listens to me. He's my boss, right? <laughs> <laughs> so when I pray, I walk by faith, knowing, because it says, when I yell to the fourth heaven, certainly Creator will respond to me. So he's always faithful to that. And yes, it works. We have the standing medicine people, which is our plant-based medicines. Our, the mycelium, the fungi, the trees, rocks, all those can be healing uh, to you. Specifically for diseases, we can cure epilepsy. We can cure uh, other uh, diseases. We can reverse people with addictions. 
like cocaine, crystal meth, and uh, all the other, the opiates. We have been successful in treating people that way. So my daughter, actually, she's just, she just turned seven. She has epilepsy. Yes. So th- that's something that you've cured before? Yes, I've cured uh, two people with that already. And, and what it is is you have to determine whether it's organis- or organic or whether it's something precipitated that. And we also use uh, different mushrooms uh, that grow here that can actually reverse that and break that barrier and rebuild the synapses so they're not misfiring. We've done that uh, on a couple occasions. Wow. But that's one thing that's... Uh, in, in my posts uh, on LinkedIn, uh, I had responses from, from, from people because what I see is this. The major ingredient that's missing in pharmaceuticals is prayer. We pray over our medicines before we, think we give it out. And I actually had an experiment. Take two glasses of water and pray over one glass of water. You can try it yourself. Pray over one glass of water. Ignore the rest. Put them in the fridge. In the fridge, a part of it. 24 hours later, take a look at it, and you'll find a difference, that there is a difference in the, in the water. Hmm. Because prayer impacts us. Dr. Morrow's work is phenomenal, but this can happen. So we, and the pharmaceuticals have agreed with me, says, we, you know, when is the last time when you went and seen a doctor who gave you a prescription? Did they ever tell you to pray over it? No, it just, the pharmacist doesn't even tell you. It just hear your prescription, pay your amount, and away you go. There's no other instructions and no other little path that they gave you. But would it be more effective when you pray over it. Because the best that Western medicine will ever do for us is treat the symptoms. They don't, are not interested in curing the people. 2018, we did a study worldwide of the diabetes epidemic. And by 2025, we predicted there's going to be 40, 400 million people. We reached that in 2019. Do you think pharmaceuticals are interested in solving that problem? No. No. Because they, make, of the, mo- they make money off of yeah. it. Because <laughs> of money. There's no money in, in healthy people. Mm-hmm. So are they going to prolong those symptoms? I've had people who had as much as 17 different prescriptions being given to them. And they said, let's wean you off with our traditional medicines. And you wean them off, they finish taking their medications, they're okay. And he says, what if I run out of your medicines that you gave me? He says, don't you believe in the cure? We're not treating the symptoms, we're treating the, 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 the root cause of disease. So that's what I do. I look at past, present, future, of where you are, and analyze what it is, and I'm being shown what medicines you need to, to cure your problem, cure issue. Did you have a mentor? Yes, look, see. <laughs> wow, he just found a dollar in the couch. Oh, two dollars, look at that. Man, I'm getting paid like crazy. Three dollars. Oh. oh, my. 
so we call these uh, messages from heaven, <laughs> messages from God. Wow. So I got three nice messages uh, I have to interpret now. <laughs> How did you learn everything that you know? Did you have a mentor? My grandparents you? were traditional medicine people. Okay. My grandmother was a midwife. And she taught me as a young boy to uh, to help her dig medicines. And, and he says, go and get me Sigojibik. So well, I run over there and go and get Sigojibik, which is a plant, right? And then she would say, that's not the right one. Go back and get me the right one. So that was her way of teaching me the correct words or the correct plants to use. Now, I knew all these medicines in Ojibwe language. So when I get to the bookstore, I found a plant, plant book, and I leave it, and I recognize the plant. Oh, that's Sigojibik. That's the English word. Oh, that's the, the Latin name. And this is what is the environment and grows and everything. So I have an extensive library of books uh, because I need, I want to know. I'm curious. I'm a collector of things. I have 5,000 CDs. Oh, wow. That I ripped into music, and I store the originals, and so I don't have to take them back. I have, uh, I do genealogy histories for people. I can have 50,000 people on my genealogy history that I can connect people to. So it's a hobby that I have. And you have like a database, right? Yes, I have a database. Then I, I'm also, they call me the Renaissance man, because <laughs> I build um, buildings, structures. I design schools. I design um, buildings. I created the first child caring agency in Canada, run by Anishinaabe people, um, 1980. I created our own community college called Yelko College, and we graduate 250 students a year. But that's just the starting things. I don't have to run there. I don't have to be there. And I, so what? You know. If they do it, let somebody else carry on the business. Because every architect doesn't des- does not live in every house he designs. Mm-hmm. So I design programs, men's healing, men's wellness. We're now looking at land-based education, teaching the language as we speak. We need to man up again. So men need to learn how how to take on the responsibilities of man. And how do you do that? You do that by getting them to volunteer. You get them to do things. That, Come on, help me here. Come on, I want to build a sweat lodge. If you don't know how to build a sweat lodge, I'll teach you how. How to do the ceremonies, how to do things, I'll teach you that. And so uh, people are interested in learning our lost cultures, our lost ways of doing things. At funerals, I do too many of them, but I teach there why we do the funerals the way we do. Because nobody's ever explained why we're, why are we doing this? So now if I, this gives me, a, it's an education opportunity for people to learn our values, our traditions, and have somebody explain it properly the best we can. So that's what some of the things I do. And I come out here and I, I'm one of the very few people that travels. I'll go all the way from Halifax to the West Coast to the Inuvik and all points in between, and also Albuquerque, New Mexico, and I teach medicines to people of all kinds of medicines, be it uh, uh, 
one guy that's very powerful stuff, you know, the, the mushroom family, the mycelium, the, and all the other wonderful plants that we have, the standing medicine people. So I teach that at no cost uh, to people because when I'm pushing up daisies, who's going to know? So our graveyards are full of people who never had apprentices. They didn't have a chance to to teach that to others. Because remember, our customs were outlawed for hundreds of years. It went underground. But me, I work during the day. I never work at night. Let there be light. Let people know for sure what it is that they're doing. Never have a ceremony at night. Never work at night. Let there bring light so people can see. So with when we look at doing what we do, it's also a teaching opportunity. And if you come to my to my service or come to my sessions for that short period of time, at least you'll walk away with knowing something. I want to talk about uh, what you were saying before we press record about being a knowledge keeper and saying knowledge keeper as opposed to elder. This mm-hmm. is something that Jenna and I just heard today and, and from you, and I'd like you to describe that for our listeners a little bit. Yes, uh, elder can be described anybody who's old, right? Or I can be a church elder. I could be a, an elder of the, of the Mormon church. I can be a el- church elder. I can be somebody who's older. So the word elder is too broad for us. So what we use are two different terms. Knowledge keeper. Somebody who knows the archaic knowledge. And wisdom keeper. Person who knows how to connect things together and teach the ancient wisdom. Uh, the ancient wisdom I normally call the Paleolithic moral code that existed before civilization, before religion, before anything that happened here before the, during the time of the Ice Age, even before that. We lived that moral code. You didn't have to teach it to us. We just lived it. We knew what to do. So that's what we want to get back to. Going and instinctively knowing what is right. So the knowledge keeper is one who passes, who is a mentor. Whereas a wisdom keeper keeps the ancient wisdom intact and passes it along as well. So that's the, I think that's the, the correct way of, in, in our language. In our language, Minigoize uh, means he's gifted. Mondaize in our Ojibwe language, it means he's super gifted. He knows all the traditions. He knows instinctively, instinctively, the ceremonies, the language, the plants, and all that things. And he talked has a direct communication to God. My grandfather was a Mondaize, so maybe we get it from him, right? Definitely. <laughs> uh, our last question we ask this to all our guests, David, is what does reconciliation mean to you? Uh, reconciliation is more than forgiveness. Reconciliation is, is uh, hard to define in our language. It's not about forgiving. It's not about forgetting. Reconciliation to me is putting aside all our prejudices, 
all our historical information and missing information that we have and having a correct view and coming into agreement as to how can we get rid of racism, discrimination and everything else but looking at humanity. Let's get back to humanity. If you look at humanity, all human beings are here. We're all brothers and sisters. I can take you back on the ceremony, back to the original mother of mankind. And all that knowledge for, since the original mother of mankind cre created, all that knowledge will come to you. Boom, 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 blow down. It's easier for, for a woman to get that knowledge than it is for men. Because the original mother of mankind. So we don't have access and people have never been taught that access to that ancient knowledge that been, has been there of women. We call women in our language, or the older women, Manitou Danisan. And Manitou means God. Danisan means daughter. Daughters of God. That's what we call women. Daughters of God. Or clan mothers. So we have a a knowledge keeper who is Manitou Danson, then you have a very wise woman who can teach because women in our society are the ones that teach culture. They're the ones that teach values. They're the ones that do uh, everything to look after the child. So in the initial role when a child is born, the mother carries that child. They're the water keepers. Men are fire keepers. The women do everything they can to raise that child until that child is ready to let go. You let go of the child and he goes away, a boy comes back a man. The man's responsibility is the end of life. When we, when we have a funeral, it was the, it's the men that serve. It's the men that carry the casket. It's the men that lower the body. It's the men that sing. The thing. So we take care of the end part of life because that's our responsibility to do that. So when we look at our roles, we have to take a look at what was the original instructions given to us by a creator. And that's, a, that's another hour or so. But we, have <laughs> we have so many questions. Unfortunately, we have to do them in like quick bursts for thank Healing you. the Hoop. But thank you so much, David, for, yeah, for talking you. with us. And hopefully, maybe down the road, we can have you on and talk with you a little longer because there's so much more questions to ask you. So thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to be here. That's part of my responsibility and role to to pass on the knowledge before I start pushing up daisies, right? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Right now we're with Loretta Peronto English at the Healing the Hoops conference here in Fort St. John. She's an elder in residence at the Grand Prairie Polytechnic College. How, talking to Jocelyn about you, she had a specific description of Blackfoot women, and I would like to hear from you what what you would describe, uh, what you would describe to the listeners as a Blackfoot female. I think we're Bikanakis, uh, we're part of uh, the Sikshikatsitapi, which is the Blackfoot Confederacy, and uh, the women. Uh, we understand uh, if we're if we're reared in that 
and that way of life, our traditional way of life, we understand our our position in in our communities in a sense. One of the things is um, when that rearing is skewed, and then we go and find different different um, ways of living our traditional ways. We tend to always follow one of the uh, main um, teachings, and that's one of the teachings that I always carry is um, if I'm going to do uh, a pipe specifically for uh, for everyone, like male, female, I would like a male to be present. Like we together, we work together in whatever situation we do. There's always a male and female presence. And in our role as a Bikanaki, it's, it's, we ha- the male needs to be there. But in situations where I'm doing it just for like a group of women, then I'm okay there. But as long as I have a helper, you know, and <clears throat> I think it's just like any other, um, uh, situation. I know one of the things like uh, uh, following our ways specifically, I know that uh, our women, the Blackfoot women, they don't go into sweat lodges. They believe in that uh, we we as women, we do our own cleansing and the men are the ones that require to cleanse in the lodges. So my mother is 80 years old and has never been in a sweat lodge. Like she, or not 80, she's 90 years old. I'm, I'm kind of gifting her with 10 years <laughs> less of her time life. Is, time is weird right now. Yeah. <laughs> but she's, uh, she's never been in a sweat lodge all her years. I know one of the conversations we had um, a while back is uh, she told me I was so close to going in. But she chose not to because of of what she believes. And I think a lot of uh, the teachings that I carry is through her, like her understanding of, of where she came from and who her parents were, who her grandparents were, who her teachers were. Like a lot of the things that she shares with me, those are the things that I carry out. And even being... Um, in a position where for my late husband being his his wife <clears throat> I had a position that I needed to carry out as well as he he had his responsibility too as well as a indigenous woman as a you know a woman in ceremony so yesterday I was present for the pipe ceremony and it was beautiful and I'm mm-hmm. I'm just curious and I don't know if this is something that is talked about but when you're doing this, it's almost like stroking, kind of. It it looked like a beautiful dance between you and Christy. Do you guys kind of have, like, a connection in that moment? I think uh, when we talk about connection, I think it's everyone present. I think there's no only specific to individuals I think it's everybody that's present within that moment within the circle yes yeah it was a beautiful ceremony and 
I found it interesting that you had the door that was open there for people to kind of come in and out. Can you just explain why? Uh, well, one of the uh, processes that we used, because we wanted everybody in the circle and not have barriers restricting their presence. So how we fixed the circle was having everybody within the circle and not have... Um, barriers like those beams in the in the wall Mm -hmm. you know blocking people and you know splitting that almost like splitting the people I think it was uh one of the things too is um just utilizing that process of of having that space where there's an opening where people can come into the circle instead of having it uh, you know, people walking in and out and through, you know, through mm-hmm. people and just have that form of respect for individuals that are within the circle. And is that keeping kind of everybody connected? And and you mentioned the ancestors and the spirits kind of, you didn't want there to be any kind of blockage, I guess. Is that, am I understanding that correctly? I think in situations when we're uh, like in ceremony, there's a fr- certain things we can, you know, go public, eh? Like go into what we're talking about, eh? But then there's certain things, it's kind of like confidentiality. What is said in here stays in here. Like a sacred. Yeah. yeah. Not a, in a sense, it's sacred, but in, in a sense, what's in there stays in there. Mm-hmm. You know, instead of... Instead of um, like trying to describe it to individuals, it has to be their presence involved in the in the ceremony. It, I can't say this is the way it is and then mark it in stone mm-hmm. because it's it isn't. Every ceremony is different, and what took place is was for that for that moment. So uh, trying to, uh, you know, uh, put it into words or trying to put it into a structure, it, it doesn't happen in a sense. Because what was experienced may have been experienced by you, and then somebody sitting next to you may have experienced it in a different way. Like everybody is journey, their journey and ceremony is is their journey. I guess part of the healing process is just letting it be what it is. Yes. Yeah. Allowing that person to experience it. But one of the things that I'm grateful for is for your presence, for you coming into it, you know, and actually being a part of it. That is the the gratitude I have, is having all the individuals come in and be a part of it. You know, because they are hands-on. They are directly involved in being a part of it. And that's the only way I feel is learning our ways, is to actually journey into it and not read it in a book or not, you know, uh, try to put it into a structured process, but just to be a part of it. 
you're you're very vocal about being sober for 42 years and congratulations I, mm-hmm. that's an amazing accomplishment mm-hmm. what do you say to some of the listeners that might be struggling with addiction or even not addiction but just struggles in general I mean the last two years was hard <laughs> right mm-hmm. uh, do you have any advice for people listening I think a lot of it is um The change has to start within yourself. You have to make that change. You have to uh, want that change. And that sometimes change, and it's always been kind of noted that change is hard, but really change isn't hard. The hard part is making that decision to make that change. And you're the only one that makes that decision to make change. And if you want to do it, you will do it. You know, it's not going to be easy at the beginning because it's not. But to continue to strive for, like, peace or harmony or, you know, contentment, those are the things that you work towards on a daily basis. Like one day at a time, like just quoting from the 12-step program, it's one day at a time. Today I don't take a drink or a drug. I Tomorrow I'll do the same thing. I won't take a drink or a drug. You know, it's just every day is a new day. You've said a few times that you can't change anybody and that it needs to come from themselves. Yes. Which is hard to watch somebody who's in pain or who's struggling. How do you, I guess, support people who are going on their own journey but just not quite ready to make that change yet? I think one of the things is not to judge, not to label, but just to be present. You know, be present in a compassionate way. You know, walk with them, not walk ahead of them or not walk behind them, but walk with them. Going back to um, talking about the ceremonies, what leads one to being able to to lead them and, and practice them like yourself and like Christy? I think uh, it's just doing them, mm-hmm. you know, doing them for a number of years. And just being, I think one of the things, like just to totally answer that question is you just work for creator. And you become creator's instrument. And now going back, I want to talk about Northwestern Polytechnic as an elder in residence. What goes into that? Are you, are you there for speaking engagements? What, what goes into having that title with the college? I think part of it is uh, is based on the academic piece. Like, first of all, it's about education. Educating everybody around you, you know, educating the whole faculty as a whole uh, and knowing uh, our Indigenous ways, sharing that knowledge. It's shared-based knowledge of sharing knowledge. And I think one of the greatest things there uh, as the elder and residents is supporting the students to make their journey 
um, as successful as possible and help them in their own um, their own um, obstacles like feeling that uh, sense of uh, not belonging or feeling that sense of they don't fit here but ensuring them that they you know they've made this commitment they've had a dream let's fulfill the dream let's accomplish <clears throat> what you've set out to do uh, so I guess just one last question mm-hmm. we ask this to all the guests what does reconciliation mean to you I think reconciliation means is um, coming together and working together. I think the best description of reconciliation is uh, the first contact people, and which is down east in eastern Canada, the Six Nations, how they came and met the colonizers for the first time, and they created the two-road wampum as you walk together, not walk on top of each other but walk together I think that's reconciliation you come together and learn the understanding nobody is above each other you know or below each other but we work together because there is a lot of work to do not only is understanding ourselves but what can we do in survival because the world is changing we see it every day like you're just talking about COVID, we see illnesses coming in that have never been here before. How do we survive together, you know, as as a human race? How do we do that? And that's where we help each other, understanding each other, and helping each other to protect what we can give to the next seven generations. Like what can we do? to help restore this earth? What can we do to help work together and understand each other? Because we've never went away as indigenous people. You know, we are. We talk about some of the languages being lost, but we all have the ability to learn language. We all have it. You know, we can go and take Italian, go French or, you know, we can go Blackfoot, Cree. We can learn a language. We have that ability. We just got to break down what has been for centuries indoctrinated in our minds that our ways weren't the right ways. We have to break that barrier and help each other break those barriers and work together to make a better society. I think that's part of reconciliation. There's a lot of political stuff, but I don't get into political stuff. I'd rather just do ceremony and just pray and do what Creator has set me out to do. I I thought of one more (coughs) question. (laughs) Um, I... You had mentioned that you had a very close bond with your dad. Mm-hmm. Can you just talk a little bit about that? It's ironic that you ask because today's June 1st and it's 57 years since he's been gone. Mm-hmm. And I was only 10 years old 
when he left. So I was 10 years old, 57 years ago. And today's the anniversary death of my father, Omer English. Um, the bond was, um, I learned a lot. I learned how to work. I learned a lot of things that I don't know, but I just learned. He taught me a lot. Um, there was 14 of us in our family. There was eight girls. And out of the eight girls, I was the only one that had 15 dolls. Like I had all these dolls, eh? And uh, towards his death, he was building a new chicken house, which was really large, probably from that over there to the door. That's how big the chicken house was. And our old chicken house was like about the size of the bathroom. That small. Oh, that's and he gave me difference. that. <laughs> he gave me that house. It was a house, eh? He gave it to me to put my dolls in. Oh. While he worked on the chicken house just outside of the, where that, you know, the small chicken house was, which was my doll house. And I remember putting all my dolls into those coops. And then there was a stoop. I put a blanket on the stoop, and that's where I'd sit with my dolls. And one thing I, if I think back to it, I never remember cleaning that house. <laughs> so you could imagine what was in that house. <laughs> and just those things. And he used to make me dolls made out of wire. You know, just like on in the evening on downtime. Like it was just that bond. I remember sitting on him holding his arms, like just, you know, just that bond. Is your daughter named after him? Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. Omarla, after my mom and my dad, Omarla Louise. Mm. That's yeah. very nice. Well, mm-hmm. thank you for sharing today, and mm-hmm. I really appreciate you talking with us. And I know you have a busy schedule, <laughs> so <laughs> we'll probably let you go. Okay. Thank um, you for having me. Yeah, thank, thank you, you so for, much. Thank yeah. you for coming. And I really encourage uh, people to, you know, do further education and attend at Grand Prairie Northwestern Polytechnic. Hey guys, it's Trey here. One thing that we forgot to note in the intro is that our interview with Kisakola was cut short due to the fact he had to go on stage and talk at the conference. And it was the last day of the conference, so we were unable to get more time with him. But the following day, he did an interview on Moose FM with Warren Dub Craig, and we used some clips from that interview. So we're going to kind of cut between the conference interview and the interview that he had with Dub. What I've read about you and I've heard about you from Trey and, and some of the other people who've attended the conference, you talk a lot about and, and perform kind of like music is healing is sort of a major theme in our idea. Tell me a bit about that. What, well, is, what is it about it that makes it healing music? Well, I think, you know, like just as um, if we go to our doctor and he'll tell us, you know, you have to have less sodium and (laughs) less processed foods. Music is like that. We got to 
consume more organically mm-hmm. so that we normalize, you know, just someone playing a guitar and singing an original song, it doesn't make us uncomfortable mm-hmm. or it doesn't make us say, I didn't hear that on the radio, so it can't be important mm-hmm. or it can't be good. Somebody else gives us definition by taking this organic step. I feel we begin to step in journey in healing ourselves. And sound is at, is at the portal of that healing, sound and pitch. You know, I always say the sound of mother ease, the, the sound that a baby can recognize, the way a mother talks to an infant. Hey, baby, how are you doing? Or, or, you know, we do that with our tones and pitches. And so we create this concept called mother ease. I call it fatheries too, you know, like singing to an infant or singing to a child. And so I think pitch is at the portal. And um, this is what I mean by healing through music, just by just listening to that, you know, puts us in, in this normalization of how music should work medicine on us. Mm-hmm. And, and let, let the pitches, um, let the happiness and kindness of, of these tones come out in harmony and so that's kind of what i mean mm-hmm. i wanted to ask you this um you've got a song uh, it's probably your best known song indian cars um you know it's i don't think it's a happy song would you say that's fair to say like it, it's sort of it's it's kind of a you know kind of a identifying experience right in, in a way do you think it, all kind of music is kind of can offer this sort of medicine, this healing, or is it certain kinds and, and well, ways to do it that should be that would? I think you could look at it in a criteria, almost like a four criteria thing. One is it entertaining? Mm-hmm. Is a song philosophical? Is it spiritual? Uh, not so much religious as far as this, this or that. And nothing against that. Mm-hmm. And then is, is it metaphysical? Like, I wrote this song, Indian Cars. Does it belong to you or your brother, you know, somebody in your family, where it, it gives the song everybody access to it? Mm-hmm. It's like truth. Everybody has access to it. And, and I believe in this movement that Native people are and all people are in, in coming to truth is uh, sometimes we lead people gently to a brutal truth. And the songs like Indian Cars is, is, is that. And... Um, it's a rock song, you know, and, and uh, it, it does, uh, you know, some, some identify it, it identify as a place in history and time. But what has happened is um, it's become an anthem for our people and Native people. And a lot of people think it's our song in the sense that no big movie, you know, it, it has been in movies. Yeah. But it wasn't a movie that made it famous. It was a grassroots movement you know, playing the song, and then other people playing it, and other people posting it and things. And so over the time, it's become um, uh, uh, that uh, metaphor of, of of freedom and of of living a good life. Mm-hmm. Would you like to play a bit of it for us? No, right I'll now? play a bl- little bit of it. I know this is wonderful to be here this morning um, in, in this area. I call this a Native Americana finger picking, a North Americana Turtle Island finger picking. I got a rock version with big rock drums and everything, and we're spoofing on a stereotype beat, boom, 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 boom. <laughs> and then, so I think we got to use humor a lot. 
Thank you, Keith. Yeah. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Of that song, what do you think when you wrote it? Were you thinking about healing? Was yeah, that song- yeah, kind of. Ever, you know, I got the idea. I wrote it, seen it written on a bathroom um, graffiti carved into a wall. And, and at that time, it was spelled like, you know, I, I changed the spelling with the letters N, D, N, kind of like in, mm-hmm. in a phonetic thing about... The Caliglia of time and age, it doesn't, sometimes it isn't dynamic enough for us. We move too fast to um, say, like, the words in the, the old colonialisms didn't move as fast as we need them. And so, I, you know, I put that song to the underground, and so I was aware of things like that. You know, like, the richness of being poor I got a sticker that says Indian Power. I stuck it on my car. It holds my car together. But that's all of us. It's not just a native thing. It's an economic thing, you know, that belongs to everyone who's had any poverty ever to to face. And and a lot of times in the face of um, dire economic situations, you use humor and wit to get around things. And for our native people, the the monologue and dialogue has been pretty pretty um, stark, and so now it's time to ride into the light. Mm-hmm. 
when you kind of talked at uh, at uh, Healing the Hoop, what did you leave people with at the end? Did you say, here's action you can take in your life that can help you heal? They can help you maybe heal others with music. Oh, yeah, actually, you know, I, I talked about the power that we have individually. And, and really, that's where the step has to come. Mm-hmm. I talked about the present tense, about mindful meditation to the present tense. So we let the anxiousness of tomorrow and the pain of yesterday and just accept where we are today. And, and that's the first step of healing. And, and I wanted people just to accept where we are and take a step forward. And there was a bunch of other great speakers at this conference. And uh, my friend Art Napoleon was a musician, and he's on a TV show, and he was wonderful. And the promoters that put on this event, you know, Busybody Enter- Enterprise, and mm-hmm. and what they brought to this community, I could see the seeds planting. I could see that already one of the uh, Native communities wanted to do it again in the fall. So I could see the necessity that people like and so, you know, it was magical. Wow. Obviously, you're very inspirational to many, many, many people. What it, What is it like meeting people who've obviously been, you know, playing your music for so many years and they're so excited to see you and you're obviously an inspiration. How is that reception? Um, well, it's, it, to me, it's a, a humbling thing because y- you learn to be, a, um, to give the music to the people and and that's part of the process, you know, like that, that comes with it. And um, I really enjoy meeting people though, you know, like I, when, when he did that Indian Cars video, there was that little baby remind me of a grandson I have you know and so when you're on the road that's kind of how you connect too you know with feelings and 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 people because it's very archetypical you know like um, the same thing and I think human consciousness is much closer than we realize the emotional feelings that we have are so much the same in the thoughts we have and and you know, I th- just think maybe they made seven archetypes in, of the human body and just started changing things about it, like short or tall and um, black or white and, you know, hair color and eye color and, and skin color and things like that. And so you can see the world of human beings and um, you realize that we're pretty close, you know, like even in our consciousness and things like that, we think we're very separate, but uh, I think we, we're very close. We connect like hummingbirds, I feel like hummingbirds can kind of speak with codes and human beings can too, where you don't have to say, like, tell me your life story, but I can feel you, I can feel you. And so these codes come with so much more things that you can unravel, maybe not at the present moment, maybe at a present moment in the future. And and you kind of can understand people, you know, like maybe what they said, maybe they like a certain song or they said a certain thing to you. I had an elder come up and tell me a story about Arizona and I seen him today and I mentioned it to him and it really made him smile and laugh that I would, you know, like remember. So there's a sincere contact 
and these people are, are are making these steps in the healing journey. Some of them are far along their journey, and some of them have just started. And and so you, you see the whole spectrum, the abyss of humanity. And and so you come here and you make friends, and you give people the best of what what you want to. You you know when you play music for people and share, it's a real alchemy. It's a real creation of vibration and sound and pitch and tone. And it's a thing of making people come together. I call it conducting a modern ritual, making people sing and dance. And, you know, that's what the ritual and things were about in ceremonies is is making people happy and, and heal. And we're like one or two steps along the way of this journey. And... um that's what I felt from these people from the communities and I could see kind of the neat thing when they'd go around and introduce the communities certain characteristics even of of them and I think it's a, a more significant of travel and seeing people and types and, and being around native communities out throughout Turtle Island Make sure you guys subscribe to Before the Peace using your favorite podcast app or at energeticcity.ca slash podcasts. And make sure you follow us on Twitter at Before the Peace underscore. If you have a guest or program idea, email Before the Peace at moosefm.ca. See you next month. Ciao. <laughs>